The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world hosted by two morons not from Baltimore. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And there are many happy Baltimoreans this week. Oh, there sure are. What a week in Birdland. And that is absolutely going to be the bulk of our Friday show. It is February 2nd. Jake Mintz is still in England. He is in Liverpool. Liverpool, England. Although you're not seeing Liverpool, right? You're seeing you're seeing Everton. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm here for some footy. And there actually are celebrations in the streets with the news that Theo Epstein will be returning to Fenway Sports Group, group who, of course, own Liverpool Football Club. And I mean, you can just see the smiles all across the city. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm sure we'll get uh, uh, more uh, on on the ground reporting about that. This is indeed a momentous episode, Jake Mintz, and not just because it's been one of the best, at least off-season weeks in Orioles history. It is because we have some news as well, and we are going to start the show off with said news before we get into the Orioles-related news and uh, the rest of our show. And that is, Jake Mintz, that this this Friday episode will be our final episode on the SiriusXM podcast network. Uh, now, let's let's be let's be careful here, okay? Uh, the podcast is not dead. All right, we did not get fired. The podcast will be taking a short hiatus. It will be back well in advance of opening day. Don't you worry. But uh, for reasons we cannot quite talk about yet, although we are very excited about uh, this, will be the last podcast with producer Chris. We are going to say goodbye to producer Chris at the end of the episode. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is a big day. Big day for us, and let's just be clear. Absolutely enjoyed our time with XM. Great people to work with. Awesome folks. We felt very cared for and empowered, and uh, they put a lot of effort and love into growing the show, and we're really proud with how the show has grown over the last couple of years. Yes, and we're super thankful, of course, for the the listeners that have made that possible. But again, uh, XM you know, gave us the opportunity to to relaunch the show after, of course, we've, we've had some hiatuses before. Again, we pri- promise this will be a lot shorter than the last couple ones uh, we've had. We are really excited uh, about what's next for us, and we'll have more details on that uh, next week. Um, but yeah, but we, we have to start with that because we're not just going to bury that at the end of the episode. That is that is significant news. It is, it is not uh, the most significant news that most people tuning into this are going to care about, and that's fine because, oh my God, the Orioles. 
but yeah, we just wanted to, to get that out of the way. Um, and yes, just stay tuned. Next week, we will have a, a lot more on, on what's next for us. We're very excited. Now, the reason that we're leaving XM is not because David Rubenstein, the co-founder of the Carlyle Group, bought us for $1.725 billion. And that's because no. David Rubenstein spent the money he was going to use to buy the pod on the Baltimore Orioles. That is right. News broke earlier this week that David Rubenstein and a consortium, a group of other very rich people and famous people and influential people and Cal Ripken and Grant Hill uh, and Michael Bloomberg are all coming together to buy the Baltimore Orioles from John and Peter Angelo. So there's a lot to talk about there. And we will get to the Corbin Burns trade in a second and how they're somewhat related. But I do think it is vital to start with this because of what it means for the future of the Orioles. And really, to be honest, like in like by proxy, the future of the league. And maybe I'm putting too much on this because, I mean, the AL East is the center of the baseball world, right? It is the Red Sox and the Yankees. And so anything that happens in the American League East, in my opinion, has an outsized impact on the whole league, right? And I think that Rubenstein coming in and buying the team and the infusion of cash that the Orioles are presumably going to see will allow them to maintain this current core longer than we thought a week ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, this shift of power has already, we already saw it happen before this, right? And so the Orioles transition going from, you know, horrifically ugly rebuild that clearly had a plan and they executed it essentially flawlessly that the fact that the Orioles rose up like this, and of course the Rays and Jays still being good, to the point where you have the Yankees and Red Sox having these horribly embarrassing seasons at the same time, that is a very relevant thing that we now, with this move, we start to think about the Orioles differently, where it's like, okay, great, we know they've built up this talent, but are they going to be able to compete financially? Now, do I expect the Orioles to essentially ever be running a $200 million payroll? I mean, I hope so, right? Maybe. Um, but with where where we've seen them go in terms of the bottom of the scale over the last half decade, and then even as they've come out of the rebuild, you know this is this is a big deal. You know if they're if they're going to start pushing. And by the way, we you know to be fair, we we did see the Orioles and the Angels spend not that long ago. You know it's not like it's impossible to see the Orioles spend money and big up give out big contracts. But I think with and you can talk a little bit about who Dave Rubenstein is and why it's so exciting. It's not just oh great. We have someone who's super rich that bought the team and generally new owners want to like do something when they do that. Dave Rubenstein is he's we talk about Baltimoreans, you know, not that the Angelos weren't, but this is really an Orioles fan who wants to come in and who's, you know, 74 years old and wants to come in and, and do something, make an impact. You know, he might not have the kind of money that Steve Cohen has to throw around, but I don't think he's coming in there just to just so that he can have a suite at Camden Yards like he's going to come in and try to make something happen. So I do think before we talk about Rubenstein, it's important to explain where Orioles ownership has been, right? So in the early 90s, Peter Angelos, who was a local lawyer, bought a controlling stake in the team. Angelos, who made his money, it, this is a crazy thing. He reportedly made $330 million on an asbestos lawsuit in which he represented like 8,000 people. And so he used a good chunk of that money to then buy the Orioles. And at the time, like, when he started, Angelos was very much in the kind of Steve Cohen, 
like David Rubenstein of what we're thinking, like the the savior owner who comes in and drops money on the team. Like he put big money on Albert Bell and Miguel Tejada and Rafael Palmero like right away. He was kind of sneaky awesome during the strike in 1994 where he was the only owner who refused to hire replacement players before the uh, the strike was done. And so Angelos in a lot of ways, like for a while had was thought of as like, if not a flawed owner, a decent owner, one who cared about the betterment of the franchise. That kind of changes around the turn of the century a little bit as he's making willy nilly decisions with the outlook of the team. And Ken Rosenthal wrote a ton about this when he was at the Baltimore Sun, but like Angelos meant well but he was just not very good at executing. Now, Peter Angelos more or less relinquished control of the team to his son, John, as his health started to fail. Peter is still alive. He's 95, I think, and clearly not in any position to be running a sports franchise. And so since 2017, 18, 19-ish, John Angelos has been running the Orioles. And Angelos the Younger is a comically doofier version of Angelos the senior where his priority is like he also thinks he means well right but his priority clearly has been to save money and to make the Orioles not make them profitable but he has been much stingier um, over the last couple of years now part of that is because the Orioles were going through a rebuild and it didn't necessarily make sense with their contention cycle but Angelos had quotes last year in the New York Times that were basically like him expressing doubts about being able to retain Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson and all these young players on extensions, which is not what the fan base wanted to hear, like, you know, barely even a year into the rise of this new core. And so for that reason and many others, he was not exactly a beloved person in Baltimore. And, you know, since Angelo started, John started running the team, the most they've spent on any free agent is the one-year $13 million they gave to Craig Kimbrell two months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and again, like, that, the beginning of John Connor and the team was conveniently timed with, right, like, the, he, I mean, I guess credit to him or whoever was the one that decided to hire Mike Elias, right? Like, that's an absolute dub for the ownership, clearly, right? Yes, that was the 100%. right call to bring that in and, and to trust him to lead that rebuild. But again, over the last year and a half, as it's been become clear that the Orioles are on this, you know, rocket ship out, it wasn't going to be that gradual to have someone that is more ready and excited, you know, to embrace the new expectations and and having an awesome baseball team and to do what's best for that. You know, does that mean they're going to extend all these players? No, but there's the other thing. They got time. You know, it's not like Adley Rutschman's about to hit free agency. It's not like like these guys are all here now, and that's why it's so important to push now. And now as we spin this forward to Corbin Burns, it's about supplementing this young, this incredibly young and for now extremely cheap group with really good veteran players. And only signing Craig Kimbrell all the way through January did not look like that whatsoever. And so when we get the news uh, on Thursday night that they're finally trading for Corbin Burns, a trade that that, you know, Orioles fans have essentially been fantasizing about for almost a year now since we've known that Corbin Burns' time in Milwaukee was kind of coming to an end. 
It was always, it was never a matter of whether they had enough to do it. It was always a matter of whether the Orioles were finally going to make a move that was not future oriented. It was about now. It was about 2024. We are trying to win. Now, clearly, we, 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 we made fun of Michael Elias last year when he said it's time for liftoff and they didn't do shit and then they won 100 games. And so that gives us kind of a mixed message. It's like, well, he was right because the team was better than we thought, but they're still not acting like it. They're still not acting like a contender. And this is acting like a contender. And that is what is so exciting. Now, is it a coincidence or is this really what happened? And we're going to get more reporting about this, I'm sure. And I'm very excited to find out more whether the fact that like, has Michael Elias basically been wanting to do this trade for two months and this is what allowed him to do that? I don't know. Like Rubenstein hasn't taken control of the team yet, as far as I understand. But it does seem to be, it can't be a coincidence, right? Like this has to be some sort of, it's not that it's like, oh great, now we can extend Corbin Burns. It's more of just like, I feel better about the safety net that I now have coming and the support that I now have coming. That's my read on it. But what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, if it's a coincidence, what a coincidence, right? I I am inclined, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm inclined to believe it's not a coincidence and they are related until someone tells me otherwise. And for me, it's as simple as Mike Elias feels better about the outlook of the Baltimore Orioles next five years today, feels better today than he did a week ago, right? And that's because there is going to be more investment in keeping good players around and signing expensive free agents, right? And there's no way, like, there's no way that Rubenstein is going to be a worse owner financially than the Angelos. Mm-hmm. contingent was there's just no way and so i think it did empower elias to make this move i just can we hop back to angelus for a quick second yeah please did you see any of the quotes about um any of the quotes just trashing john angelos from baltimore politicians <laughs> oh oh yes well this is okay there's a lot more going on with like the orioles and the city and this has been in terms of building and kind of renovating around camden yards and I don't know how much we want to dip into that that situation, but I, I imagine that's related because John Angelos has been obviously as the owner at the front of the negotiations involving all of those things, and that involves the government. And it sounds like the reporting is that at no point over the last few months did John Angelos make it clear to you know the Westmores of the world and other council you know members that yeah I'm about to sell to David Rubenstein. Well no, the opposite is true. He basically oh, okay. was asked are you going to sell and he said no. Oh, and okay. it's even worse. The governor the, the, this is something that I believe the governor said, we deserve transparency and we deserve the truth. The transparency that was re- required was not there and it's disappointing. And then you had I believe this is the comptroller mm-hmm. of the city. Yes. Brooke Learman in an, an orange blouse for the sale to celebrate the sale of the team says, quote, I do think that John's behavior displayed an incredible lack of respect for the state and our role in working with the Orioles. It's incredibly disappointing, although not surprising. Right. And I think that last part is important here because ultimately, especially based on these comments, I'm sure the government is probably looking forward to working with somebody else, right? But as far as these processes go, it is not helpful for these people making these huge decisions and writing these bills that are going to be involving millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from the city, from taxpayers, all this stuff, for them to not know that this was about to happen. Can someone please leave a five-star review on the podcast that just says, 
it's incredibly disappointing, although frankly not surprising. If you could just add that it with five us. stars, it us. Yeah, incredibly yeah, still disappointing. Give us five stars, but that sums us up pretty well. Uh, not surprising. Anyway, can we get into can we get into Rubenstein? I agree. Yeah, I would like to get into Rubenstein now. Okay. Oh, okay, sure. I went down the David Rubenstein rabbit hole the other day um, when I was on the train from London to Manchester and read about like kind of a very interesting man, just an interesting cat who has spent an outrageous sum of money on very unique things like 13 million to refurbish the Washington Monument. Okay. 50 million to the Kennedy Center for a new ring. Hell, Hell yeah, yeah, dude. Performing we love arts. the arts. We love that. We love oh, the arts. Yeah. We stand the arts. And then my favorite, which is he bought the Magna Carta, the last privately owned copy of the Magna Carta for $21.3 <laughs> then lent it to the National Archives and gave like another $10 million to build like a special exhibit for it. Okay. Now, this is similar to when Steve Cohen bought the Mets and everyone was like, if he's going to spend $55 million on this dopey statue... He can, you know, spend some money on the ball club. And I'll tell you, that's how I feel today. Because <laughs> if 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 this guy's just like buying a Magna Carta, like he can extend Adley Rushman, right? And so now there are no excuses from the fit. Like the, the fan base will not take any excuses because you own a Magna Carta. You own a Magna Carta. You can go sign a top end baseball player. Maybe those things are different. Someone with a better understanding of the finances of like buying and selling a Magna Carta can tell me more. I'm sure that some of his donations are also for tax purposes. I'm not discounting that. What it appears to be, and I think what is most important for Orioles fans, what Orioles fans care about in regards to Rubenstein now, is that he is 74 years old. Okay, this is a man who has made, he made his money as a uh, doing private equity, right? Like, it would be understandable to see this and say he is making an investment that he is then going to make a lot of money from and then sell the team in five years when he, you know, gets the return. And I think that that is a fair concern because, you know, private equity has ruined many things about our lovely world uh, and the world of sports and the world of baseball. And like, I get that. However, I'm inclined to think he's 74 and he's from Baltimore. And he cares about the Orioles. And I think that that is super key when there's new ownership. Um, he is, I just, it's hard for me to envision a world where David Rubenstein is buying this team and just isn't upgrading the money in some way. Like that's That has to be what's going to happen. Now, maybe I'll sit on this pod in a year from now and be very disappointed and surprised. Like, who knows? A million things could happen. But I just... I think that's the immediate understandable response from a lot of those fans is, is one of unbridled hope and optimism. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I would not want to change anything about that. I think the last thing I'll say on Rubenstein, and then we should get to the Corbin Burns trade because holy shit, they traded for Corbin Burns and that's like baseball. Um, I'm interested in, in two is he has been a, it's not just, again, there are all billionaires all over. As we know, many of the owners, like we've never heard them speak like Ray Davis of the Rangers you couldn't find evidence of this person in public for a very long time. You know, like the, the, he was like, you could find like a couple pictures. Okay, here's Ray David. Rubenstein couldn't be more the opposite. And I know Steve Cohen has been somewhat of a public figure because he's been so rich and has been involved in, in certain things for better or for worse that have made him relatively famous. And we have other famous owners for sure in sports. But as far as baseball goes, I mean, again, there's 
the dude's got like a YouTube channel. He's got like a podcast. He's been like interviewing all kinds of other rich and famous people for years. Like he's very much out there. And so, you know, sometimes that's a bad thing. Obviously, some of the worst moments of John Angelos over the last five years has been when he's spoken in public. But in Dave Rubenstein's case, um, not that, again, we should assume that all these billionaire owners, when they seemingly save us from other owners, are like amazing human beings. But I am somewhat encouraged that he is at least going to be a little bit better from a PR standpoint, uh, which is also important. That is the thing. David Rubenstein clearly has a better understanding of public relations and communication and optics than John Angelos does. Okay. Yep. And th that is a, a, a not debatable in the slightest. And I think that that is a reason why, you know, people who probably like probably people who work for the Orioles are amped about this because it's like, oh, we're not going to be a joke in some respects when John Angelos goes out there and says some crazy shit. Right. Um, sure. And I will say, are we a little bit biased about David Rubenstein? Um, yes, because, quote, I was 13 before I realized everyone in the world was not Jewish. Up to that point, everyone I knew was Jewish. He grew up in the same, like, very, very Jewish neighborhood in Baltimore that my mom grew up in, like 10 years or so older than my mom. And so there's just something about, like, David Rubenstein, the Baltimore Jew buying the Orioles that, like, it, it feels kind of like a joke and a dream in some ways. You know what I mean? Like, if I could have told my grandfather who died 10 years ago that David Rubenstein from, like, Park Heights Avenue is, like, running the Orioles, he would have been incredibly confused. Yeah. If you thought the Corbin Burns trade was a bit of a fever dream, I mean, this is really this is really beyond that. One more thing before we take a break and talk about Corbin Burns. I think that Rubenstein's PR and communication chops is evidenced by the group of people he's put together here that sure. are in the the squad that's buying the team. Ripken, no-brainer, like, duh. His name being attached to this is so obvious and makes so much sense. Ripken has a, made a lot more money than the average player his age because of, like, the Ripken baseball stuff, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, he does have some money to actually make a notable investment. Um, I think that's an obvious one. They've also included Kurt Schmoke, who's the former mayor of Baltimore. And having someone like that who has all the political connections, that's also very important, right? And so I just I just have a lot more faith in Rubenstein's ability to just not be a punchline. And it's it again, we talked about this like when we did the owner draft with our friends at Tipping Pitches. Like, we don't want to necessarily like create turn these people into heroes. However, it is undeniably an upgrade for a team for a fan base that has endured just a joke of an ownership group for a long time yeah and that's again where once again regardless of the specific financials the Mets parallel is is fairly obvious right I mean that is why it was it was is so much about not just about the success on the field and how exactly they've run the team but it is those PR things and it is the way that they've handled the organization that I think people are looking forward to improving. Because honestly, if they keep being cheap, as we know, the Orioles are still going to be pretty damn good. But now that we, whatever the possibilities are now, we know that we may be entering a new era. But regardless, because of what Mike Elias has built, they were in great position to make a very significant trade. Uh, any last point? We'll take a break before we talk Burns. But any last point here? David Rubenstein, come on, baseball barbacast. <laughs> Hun. 
you are always welcome here. All right, we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, talking about the actual trade. Corbin Burns, DL Hall's on the Brewers, Jake. I'm sorry. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Enough about owners. Let's talk about pitchers. Because the, yeah. new, the new O's owner, David Rubenstein, was not the only news that happened this week in Birdland. Sorry if this sounds like an Orioles-specific podcast, but that's the news. Uh, the O's traded for Corbin Burns last night. Uh, whoa. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoa is right. Uh, if you haven't seen Jake's live reaction to it, I encourage you to check it out. It is very funny. Um, I let me just say quickly just like, on the live reaction. Yeah. yeah, I just want to say live reaction. I I'm gonna just gonna come forward. I was drunk. Okay, uh, yeah. I was intoxicated. I had had a couple <laughs> beers. Okay, I'm on vacation here in England, and I had a couple beers. Yep. Sue me. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's again, and I don't think anyone. I think again. I appreciate you coming clean. I think people kind of picked up on that it was pretty, yeah. pretty straightforward but again what an opportunity and and weird uh sequence for you to find out uh, under those circumstances but i was pretty freaking stunned i was uh last night finishing up uh piece for fox uh just doing off-season grades and i literally had like just written the orioles little blurb being like all right like i can't get too mad but like when are you gonna do something and then I get a text from our dear friend Kylie McDaniel that says, are you going to break this trade to Jake? And I was like, what trade? <laughs> and then I opened Twitter and I was like, oh shit, hell yeah, I'm going to break this trade to Jake if he's awake and or sober, and at least he was awake. And so I got him on the line and then you saw what happened. Okay, here's the trade. Corbin Burns, one year of team control, making $15, 16000000 million this year, going to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange. For two players, Joey Ortiz, a still prospect eligible shortstop, and a left-handed pitcher named D.L. Hall. Uh, he did not have to change his name to I.L., which is good. Uh, and a draft pick, Jake. A draft pick. The 34th pick in the 2024 draft. Yes, you can trade draft picks. You are allowed to trade draft picks that are uh, competitive balance uh, picks. So every year after the first and second round, there's like a rotation of a handful of picks that go to these smaller market teams. And so the Orioles have them often and the Brewers also have them often. And so whatever. But the point is, is that you can trade those picks. That's been true for a while. And the Mariners and, have traded them. Obviously, Jerry DePoto has. Like, we've seen these picks move. And the Brewers fans will now be able to buy a jersey for competitive balance around a pick at the team store. That's they, they so will. exciting. Well, it's, they will maybe at some point. Uh, and I'm, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I, I do, I think as, as you kind of uh, said last night, like after we stopped recording and before you pass out, um, I do think this is legitimately more interesting from the Brewers side, but let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. Corbin Burns is Corbin awesome. Burns and now he's on the is awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. He's really, really good. He is not, he was not as good this past season as he was two years ago. Right. Like, I guess. Let's just get that out of the way, right? He won the Cy Young in 2021. He was a little worse than that in 22, a little worse than that in 23. Some of that, right? Like, dig into the numbers. He is one of the best 10 pitchers in the league. Absolutely. Um, he is not one of the best three pitchers in the league the last two years, but he might be next year. He Who still knows? could be. Yeah. No one would be still surprised totally if could he be. was again. Yep. Exactly. He is 
if not like an ace, he is he is about as close to it as as it gets. If he is not an ace, and I think, I think he is. I think he is. I don't uh, need to have the ace. Good. I don't want to have like the ace discourse. No. I'm not interested. Um, also, shouts out to me for correctly spelling Corbin Burns last impressive. night. You know, you, while you, inebriated. You, yeah, you butchered. You know, Daryl Hernay's pretty bad, but other than that, you you were doing pretty well. Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll so Corbin say, Burns, Corbin yeah. Burns, Corbin Burns is good, right? Like that's the obvious thing. He's a frontline guy. It gives the Orioles someone who can start game one of a playoff series. It bumps everyone else uh, down a level in the rotation, which is really helpful from a depth perspective. Because three days ago, two days ago, if you're like Bradish, G Rod, you know, Dean Kremer, you're like. Okay, like, all right, John Means. Okay, good. But now, if you're like, Burns is the one, Bradish, who got Cy Young votes last year is the two, G-Rod, who was amazing in the second half, is the three, that's a very good pitching rotation. That is, like, encouraging. That is exciting. And so, yeah, I it's, from an O's perspective, it's a no-brainer. They have so much prospect depth, especially on the hitting side, to make a trade like this. Joey Ortiz got a cup of coffee last year and didn't really show, didn't really have enough time or run to do it. He was going to be blocked by Jackson Holiday and a number of other infield prospects. D.L. Hall stings a little bit more just because I think Orioles fans have a deeper connection with him because he's been around for so long and they really wanted him to succeed. He's a fun guy. He's a fun player to watch. However, there's a legitimate chance he's not a starting pitcher, right? And so if you're trading a very good reliever in exchange for, I guess it's one year, but you are getting one of the best 10 pitchers in the world, it's a no-brainer trade to make. From the Orioles' perspective, like we said, it's not that interesting. Now they have a great ace, and they have uh, – that's it. Like, we don't have to talk about it anymore from that side. Yeah, I, although I will say I did enjoy – I know we had a bit of this in the second half last year, and then certainly once we were, like, gearing up for postseason prep. It was funny that part of the Corbin Burns excitement was, like, casual fans being like, holy shit, Kyle Bradish's ERA was what? <laughs> It was like it was like suddenly everyone was like Burns and Bradish and like no one was talking about Kyle Bradish like that last year. Maybe they should have been and maybe they they sh still should be. Now there's some things about Bradish's season last year where you could think like damn like that was that was a hell of a year that can he replicate that we'll see. But he is a very good pitcher and Grayson of course is the one that you're still projecting on in a very big way and you could say oh shit like there's a chance you know there's a maybe 15 20% chance that by the end of this season, Grayson is a top 30 pitcher in the league, you know, in a way that Bradish was on performance, but on pure talent, I mean, he still has that opportunity. So I agree. It just, it just really rounds everything out. It's so obvious because we've been talking about it for so long. It's a, it's a significant like supercharged version of the same thing with the Mariners trading for Jorge Polanco. We'll hit on that a little bit more later. Like, it's like, yeah, duh. Like they needed a second baseman and they got a good one. So like, yes, they gave up some real stuff, but like they got better and they're better. And like, it feels, it's so simple, but it's so nice. It's also a good reminder that the chronology of the off season often dictates totally. the way we see teams moves, right? Mm -hmm. Like if the Orioles had done this in November, it's a very different off season, but they were catching a lot of flack. And we had talked about this at some points, like they had been catching a lot of flack, some of it fairly for not being more aggressive. But now when spring training starts or on opening day, Corbin Burns is on the Orioles. And so in some ways it makes our last two months of clamoring feel silly, but also it makes it feel like, you know, 
it, we were right. Like and yeah, the Orioles yeah. knew we were right because yeah. not, you know, because they went and did the move. Let's totally. talk about the Brewers side. Yes. The reason that this is so interesting from the Brewers perspective is because it is a clear shift in approach within this winter. Okay. At the beginning of the winter, it felt like with, you know, it, it really felt like the Brewers were going to sell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they didn't. They kept Adamus. They kept Burns. They made some additions. They gave Reese Hoskins some real money. And it was like, okay, they're going to give it one more go with this core they have. They just signed Jackson Chariot to this big extension. They're going to have him in the big leagues this year. They could easily win the division again. And now that they, and since then, since like, right, it kind of swung back around and they they got Reese, there was no indication that they were going to trade Burns. In fact, it really felt like they were going to hang on to him and most of the the dialogue was about Bieber and Cease. And so for the Brewers to kind of switch gears and trade Burns must be incredibly disappointing for that fan base who had had thought they were kind of out of the woods, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I want to I want to isolate that because I think that that to me I can't imagine not being true. I want to get to the return because I do think that there are some reasons to be excited about it from that perspective. But the shift and like the whiplash of I thought we were going for it, I thought we, and now you are two weeks from camp and you're wondering, oh, is Adamus going to be gone too? Like that part is is frustrating because I looked at obviously the White Sox are not contending, but when you compare the situation with like Cleveland, like I look at Cleveland and I think they could trade Bieber, and I still can see a world where they can be pretty similar because Bieber just is not as good as Burns anymore, and they have more pitching depth in the starting rotation. Whereas with Milwaukee, I viewed it as like, if they're going to trade Burns, like that is a step back. They will be a worse baseball team, like pretty considerably if they trade Burns. And so while we're going to get to the return here in a second, like I can't get over that part. And that's the part that if I am a Brewers fan, maybe I'm not pissed as much specifically about the return as much as just like, what are, what is the plan this year? Are, are, Are we really giving it our all in the way that obviously the Orioles are indicating indicating that they are. But let's talk about the players that they are getting back because I do think it is important before we 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 crush them too much because while I do think that it is an easy 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 yes for Baltimore and that that is about them. That is not about the Brewers. That is because the Orioles have built up this absurd amount of depth in the infield. Now, I do think that Deal Hall trading him like I am looking at that bullpen and thinking like all right, are we really rolling with Danny Coulomb and CNL Perez like and uh, Hall could end up being good whatever. Ronald Guzman pick, though. Yeah. Yeah, and that 34th pick is is important, right? You don't got to tell the Orioles they drafted Gunnar Henderson with the 42nd pick. You know, like the that is a very 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 valuable 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 asset. Of course, now it's just a draft pick that we can make jokes about, but like that's two and a half million dollars in in bonus pool space. The Brewers are now going to have five picks in the top 100 in 2024. Again, none of this should change the fact that if you're a casual Brewers fan, you're like, what the fuck? Like, I want to watch Corbin Burns this year pitch for my favorite team and hope that we can win the division. That's all true. But in terms of the value, when you consider that draft, you consider Joey Ortiz, who is a tremendous defender at the very least, at the extremely important position at shortstop, who can, if he can even be a league average hitter, is going to be very valuable. And then D.L. Hall, as far as I'm concerned, okay, maybe he's a reliever, maybe he's a starter, but it, you're talking pure stuff in the, in the, I know he's not prospect eligible anymore. I mean, his shit is unbelievable. And when you look at the kinds of pitchers that the Brewers have targeted, I'm not surprised that he's the kind of guy that they're going after. And they know, and by the way, I think they're going to give him every chance to start. You look at that depth chart, I wouldn't be surprised if they do believe he can start if he can slot right in. 
And man, if they can figure him out, I know they have Jacob Mizrowski coming who throws even fewer strikes, but his stuff is even better than that. Like maybe there is a world where, where Deal Hall's a, a really effective starter, you know, over 150 innings, and they're not that much worse. But for the long term, again, it's six years of both players. I really like the value of the draft pick. I think it is an absolute no-brainer move for Baltimore, but I don't think that this return is worth uh, crushing too much either. I think it is a tough pill to swallow because fans don't really care about sustainability, right? And especially in Milwaukee, where they've never won a ring, right? They haven't been to the World Series in forever. It's like they want it. They want it now. They don't want to hear about tomorrow, right? They don't want to hear about the long-term vision. They want to make deep runs in October and they want it now, which is totally understandable. That being said, I think they're, like you said, there's enough value that they're getting back here that I do kind of like to trade because there's a world, right, in which Burns gets hurt at some point this season and misses two months of time and doesn't really make that big of an impact. He's a pitcher, okay? That could totally happen. Happens all the time, every year. And to get two guys who you could argue, like Joey Ortiz is probably a top 100 prospect, mm -hmm. and D.L. Hall has been. Probably would have and still been. I think he would have still been. Would have still yeah. been. For six years each, mm -hmm. those are two potential core players. That's a really good haul. Still, it is not a happy day in Milwaukee. No, I I don't think it can. Uh, yeah, and and it's to me it's it's kind of that simple. Um, is is it? It's not. It it can be an, an okay trade and still kind of suck. Um, and which I, was there's the case, versions like, of this. We have versions of this all the time. If we talk about with the Rays, like there's a lot of versions of this. This one is is a, is a really strong example. When the Orioles traded Trey Mancini and you know Jorge Lopez at the 2022 deadline. As an Orioles fan, like pissed. watching, I was pissed because it was like watching their ascension in that year. Like that was really special. And those guys were really important to the team. And like getting rid of Mancini was really hard to watch because like, he, you know, his whole story. But you look at the trades now and it's like a, uh, those are both just heists, right? Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> the Jorge Lopez <laughs> right. trade, which like the Orioles got Yenier Cano back and he was like in the one of the top 10 relievers in the world last year. Yep. Right. Not to mention the other other dudes they got in that deal. So, yeah, I think both feelings are understandable to be totally. frustrated in the moment and uh, understand and recognize that it could be beneficial long term. All right, Jordan, anything else you want to talk about before we not, get out of here? Not with the well, I do have some more some more topics, but I think we should should take a, a quick break. Um, but before we take a quick break, like I did, since you weren't here on Wednesday, like I did want your 30 seconds on the Hori Polanco trade because I haven't talked to you about it and you're my friend and it's my favorite team. And while it is not as big of a deal as trading for Corbin Burns, I think a lot of the same things apply where it's like, they've made so many trades, obviously, uh, and so many where it's like, oh, sustainability. And of course you, they deserve all the criticism for saying things like 54%, all those things. But like, this is a move where it's like, oh, we are trying to win now. And there aren't that many moves that they've made where it's like, we are trying to win now. And the last one they did, that was Luis Castillo, where they gave up a shit ton to get Luis Castillo, and it worked. And while this isn't nearly the package that they traded for Luis Castillo, it was a sizable haul. And I think this is the move that definitively, in my opinion, the more I look at it, actually makes them a better team than they were last year. And it took a while to get there. 
And my God, I was not happy at, at points along the way. And it is ridiculous that they have to operate under these payroll constraints for sure. But when you consider that context, I am ultimately very uh, satisfied and pretty impressed with what they were able to maneuver. Yeah, it's it's so silly. They're the silliest team. The way that they go about building. Jerry's just building his roster, right? But, yeah. but here we are and it looks pretty good. Like, And what's, again, you can both understand that it looks pretty good and it should look better. Totally. Both of those things can be true. And so totally. to be frustrated about Jerry not being able to spend more money is, that's fine. But also like, look at the lineup. Like the lineup is better. The lineup is yeah. better right now than it was last year. Yeah, it's more complete. And then the other thing is just like, I just appreciate that they try, like there are a lot of other teams in clearly like payroll binds and maybe they didn't have the pressure on them that Seattle did in other ways that kind of just stood pat and were just like, ah, check. well, can't spend. All right. It's not going to do anything. Right. Like the they twins. Were like, no, fuck it. Like we're going to, we're going to try and do something here. Like they, and it was a hell, my God. I mean, it was, it was a quite a journey, but, uh, but we got there and I am, I'm quite excited about that. All right, Jake, let's take a quick break. Uh, we're going to hit a couple more uh, quick, fun topics before we say goodbye on this final edition of Baseball Barbecast on the SiriusXM Network. Don't worry, people. We'll be back. We'll be back. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Baseball Barbecast. Jake Minster and Schusterman. I'm looking out the window of my hotel here in Liverpool. And I'm seeing a banner that says, Welcome Theo Epstein. Already? Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. Okay, why? What's that about? Well, I mentioned earlier, Theo Epstein has agreed to join the Fenway Sports Group, leaving his gig at Major League Baseball and returning to the club that made him famous, where he oh, won yeah. the World Series in 2004, one of the most iconic clubs in MLB history a town where Theo is a hero. Now, we don't have a whole lot of details yet on his return to this side of the game, but it is interesting that he is leaving MLB right now, considering he has had a huge role in some of the new rule changes that have been implemented. Oh, yeah, and, and I think that is my... I know the headline is, oh, my God, Theo's back with the Red Sox. Uh, to me, the way bigger takeaway is Theo Epstein is not in MLB anymore. Um, and to me, yeah. I'm not surprised because when you listen to Theo talk in public about the rule changes and about all the ways that he's trying to kind of change baseball and get it back to what it was. I'm sure he's looking at the pitch clock of the success of the pitch clock last year. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to deal with robo umps. I don't want to deal with that bullshit. Like, I don't want to deal with all this. The next wave. Like I basically changed. I helped change baseball for the better already. Like I did it. Bam. I'm Theo Epstein. I'm the shit. And now my, my poor Red Sox are the laughing stock of, of, of the league. And I'm sure there was probably part of him that's like, damn, I could probably go help that a little bit. And then there's probably someone with the Red Sox like, Theo, please. Like, we could use any of the positive PR we could possibly get right now. Just who cares how much you're actually involved. Um, but Theo's not someone that is going to want to sit on the side. You know, he's clearly, if he's getting in there, no matter what the stake is, he's probably going to find a way to make an impact. So, Yeah, I'd be curious what type of role he'll have in baseball operations decisions. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine it's mostly going to be as a sounding board. And that they didn't hire Theo as like a president of the president of baseball no, operations. No, 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 no. He's, or he's the more chief he'll baseball still be officer's more in the boss. Yeah. 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 Like, we don't no, expect him no. to I don't be think in press he's going to be up on anything. Yeah. 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 I would not expect him to be up there with, with Sam Kennedy and 
and Tom Warner and everything. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's like I can't imagine Red Sox fans are upset about this. So it doesn't really fix their their winter, but. <laughs> cool it would be funny again like totally different situations it would be funny if theo this news comes out and then like the red sox sign blake snell this weekend <laughs> like obviously like it's like theo's paid for it but if he's like hey dumbasses just go sign a fucking starting pitcher this isn't that complicated oh oh okay can theo pitch <laughs> maybe um, anyway, so that's big news. We'll see what that means. Okay, we are uh, now going to talk about Corbin Carroll, another Corbin, the all-Corbin edition of Baseball Barbercast. We had a great email from uh, Dan. You can email us at baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. I imagine we'll be keeping that uh, email address, so keep those emails coming. We're going to try and respond to more of those, if not on the podcast, but in the coming weeks if we haven't hit them on the show. Uh, but anyway, uh, one more email, uh, and I love this from Dan, and this is something I wanted to talk about anyway. Dan says, hi, Jake and Jordan. Hope you're both doing well. MLB recently posted a video of Corbin Carroll naming the 15 players who were drafted in front of him in 2019. I, as many others did, found this to be quite impressive. However, it didn't seem too outlandish in retrospect. We've seen examples of this in other sports. Amon Ross St. Brown comes to mind. I know who Amon Ross St. Brown is. I have not seen a video of him naming the people who were drafted ahead of him, but I have seen other videos like this, definitely in the NBA. Anyway, Dan continues. With this in mind, what do you think is the upward limit for doing this? Is this solely a first-round comp thing from a feasibility perspective? What round or overall pick do you think would be the latest for this to still be possible? This also makes me think of Chad Knight from Duke naming all the World Series champions in order by year. I don't know if you saw that video, Jake. Um, Does this perhaps shed some light on how many players someone could hypothetically name? My mind immediately went to the impossible, those drafted in the 35th round, and how hilarious it would be for them to try to name the 1,000 players drafted before them. Uh, I thought this would be a fun pre-spring training conversation to have. It is. Thank you, Dan. I love this question, and I love this video. Um, What are your initial takeaways? My sister is a genius and can do like 100 digits of pi. Oh, yes. Yes. I can do like, and 20, so in my mind, that's not a hundred. When I read this, when I read this, I was like, "That's what it would be like." Is just someone rattling off like a roll of random players who never made the big leagues if you were drafted in the thirty-fifth <laughs> round. Let's talk about Corbin Carroll first. Very impressive. I think that it is slightly less impressive than you think, and not to pour water on it is very impressive because one. A lot of these guys are in the big leagues and good. All all of Done. them except a, for two. Yeah. Right. It's like a particularly impressive draft. Yeah. It's a very it's one of it's gonna be one of the greatest drafts of all time. Just between Adley, Bobby, and him. I think like it's early, but that could be three Hall of Famers. Like this is a very, very, very good draft, I think. All right. Sure. And then he played Team USA and did the showcase circuit with pretty much all of the high school kids who went in the first round, right? And yes. so it's important to remember that if you're drafted in the same round as someone, you you probably know them. And it made a lot of sense to me that the guys he clearly was struggling with a little bit, like Hunter Bishop, he like pauses on Hunter Bishop uh-huh. because Hunter Bishop was a college guy who never made the big leagues. And so like, I think that you could totally do the whole first round if you were drafted in like the middle or the early second round. I think that there are, what is more interesting to me is why does he know this, mm-hmm. okay? If you're drafted second overall, like Alex Bregman was drafted second overall behind Dansby Swanson and wore number two because he didn't like that he was number one, 
right or that he was like passed over mm-hmm. he knows dance response his name if you're after <laughs> fifth you know the guys ahead of you they're just in your brain right i think that for corbin it's a combination of he's incredibly intelligent yeah and he knows retains ball. information yep he Pay knows attention. ball and he's incredibly intelligent and he cares about ball and then i don't think it's like he's like feels doubted and he's like on wikipedia like memorizing these <laughs> names on flashcards i do think that is a type of player though right like a guy yeah. who's drafted 28th overall who knows all the people drafted in front of him like as like like they're on the wall of his bedroom totally like, i'm gonna get like, this is my hit list totally i think i was most amused and again i encourage you to watch the video so maybe this is a minor spoiler i agree that yeah like he, he didn't struggle with many although I was amused that two of the ones he struggled with was, first of all, the fact that he said Josh Jung when, like, he just played him in the World Series and it's clearly young. And then one of the ones he also forgot was Bryson Stott. <laughs> now, again, he did, like, get them. We needed, like, some minor prompting. Um, I will say to answer, you know, Dan's question further, it's not just the names, it's the teams, right? You're remembering two two things at once. You You kind of have to match them together to remember both the draft order and the actual players. Um, and so that, in some ways, it helps because it, it, it ha- you have the association there. But I agree. It is really funny. What What is the upper limits of this? And, and you see this in the NBA all the time, for sure. But I do think in baseball, it's, it's actually more interesting because not that guys, you know, obviously can't bust in the NBA. But, you know, in this case, I mean, Keone Cavaco is maybe he played with him in high school or so. I mean, that's about as not as big of a bust, but like he's so not relevant right now you know maybe they're like still friends and that's that's why but keeping track they're they're not all in the big leagues in this case almost all of these guys have made it so it makes it a little bit easier but i'd be curious more for a guy where like half the guys in front of him didn't make the 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 big leagues because on one hand it's harder to remember them on the other hand you're like oh shit i know that guy because that guy sucks and he was picked ahead of me do you think friend of the show lucas Giolito could do this right because he was also picked like 16th I think, but no Lucas chance. famously, no chance. Lucas famously doesn't know any baseball players. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely gotten better about that. Okay, wait, this is actually a great question, and we're gonna have to test this on him like very soon. So Lucas was 16th overall in 2012, and also now again, that's a much larger sample. Only two players picked ahead of him did not make the big leagues: uh, Courtney Hawkins, wow, and Nick Travieso. So there's like no chance in hell. Like I bet he could, I bet he could do like, I think he could do half. I would set the over under at like seven and a half that he could do. We'll have to test this. This is good. That's Absolutely. a great question. Uh, one more uh, video that I saw that was very amusing that I just wanted to bring up was a video of Alex Anthopoulos at, it seems like Braves Fest. And he was on, I believe either a podcast or a radio show. And it seemed like they were doing it at, the ballpark or at the very least you could there were fans around clearly and there is there are fans basically behind like a glass they're like inside and there's fans behind and someone so up i'm yeah sorry i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. that this is down the first base line okay like along the suite area Mm -hmm. and they're like inside and the fans are behind it like it's Mm -hmm. it's like facing out Mm -hmm. um or no, I apologize. I believe it is it is in the chop house. In the chop house, down yeah, in the left like field. Yeah, down the right. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in, in right field. So yeah, I I apologize. Oh, I'm right. wrong. Oh, yes. It's in yeah. the chop house, down in right field. Um, and it's on uh, Sports Radio 680, 93.7 FM. The fan, and there's a fan behind the glass holding up a phone that says "Trade for Dylan Cease," and you hear Anthopoulos go, "We already tried. He was too expensive." 
Yes. Which is just so funny because any, again, any break from like GM character, because so many of these guys just are saying the same thing over and over and over. So any ounce of personality or transparency is so refreshing. But I love this. The reason why I wanted to talk about this particularly is like Alex Anthopoulos. And now obviously the Brave season didn't end great. But at this point, when you consider the movies he's made, like everyone knows Alex Anthopoulos is a badass. This is another guy who, in a very different context, didn't necessarily have to do that much this winter. And instead, he made the most absurd, you know, sequence of moves to improve his team. And and that's because he he's 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 the guy, right? And and everyone loves Alex Anthopoulos. And so he gets to sit back there and basically make a joke and be like, yeah, you know, hey, we tried to trade for Dylan Cease, but Chris Getz is being a dickhead. Like, sorry, guys. <laughs> and like, everyone's like, oh, ha, 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 Alex, right? Whereas like, there's other GMs, if they did that, they'd be like, like, fuck you. Like, we need Dylan Cease, right? But if you're Alex Anthopoulos, he's like, ah, this is funny. I love it. I love this. This is so funny. He's playing with house money. What makes it even funnier to me is that Anthopoulos has a rep for being one of the most like closed off GMs and running like a very tight ship from the flow of information perspective, mm -hmm. right? Famously, the Braves just tweet extensions and trades exactly. out. 1% going to the Braves Foundation, right? And so for him to just, the, the, the juxtaposition of the personal transparency with the organizational totally. lockdown of it is even better. Totally. Oh, Hunt, that's a great. That's a great point. Yeah, because it's like it's he could have just ignored this random fan holding up a, his phone, like to to try and distract him. But uh, that's a that's a great point. So, shouts out uh, to Anthopolis. That was uh, very 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 funny. Uh, Jake, we're going to finish with two topics that are near and dear to our hearts, um, and and go back uh, to kind of like OG uh, Barbacast days. Okay, the first is how much did you see the Jason Kelsey, backyard baseball, backyard football discourse. I knew that a Kelsey talked about backyard sports. That's okay. all I know. Yes. So I'm not going to take credit for this because I'm quite confident this would have eventually blown up. Uh, but I was listening to their podcast, which is literally the biggest podcast like in the world, uh, not just sports podcast. And at, basically, they're talking about whatever. And, and Travis Kelsey talks about how when he broke Jerry Rice's record, he was thinking about Jerry Rice in backyard football. And Jason Kelsey is like, oh, yeah, like I love backyard football. I'm trying to revive it. And I'm like listening to this. I'm just like freaking out. And this is like whatever, six or seven hours after the episode comes out. I'm just like, how is nobody like if this is the biggest podcast in the world, how has nobody mentioned this? Like I know what this means to so many people. And so I tweeted the clip out and I tagged them and the, the New Heights. And I was like, hello 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 and then it got aggregated like crazy and now everyone is like now pressuring jason kelsey to actually find a way to bring these games back which is great because that's exactly what i knew was going to happen so i don't know if that's going to lead to anything but i just wanted to say hell yeah <laughs> I, that was and travis kelsey like literally recounting a very specific backyard based backyard football animation was tremendously relatable and speaks once again to how incredibly impactful that franchise is and most importantly made me feel truly ashamed that we have not done a power hour this entire offseason. And I hope we can mm. fix that at least once before opening day. So I just wanted to say that. I know I, I come on here every day with Pete Wheeler and, and Pablo Sanchez bobbleheads behind me. And I know how much that those games mean to people. And um, and yeah, I just it, it was very, very cool and funny to see those two of the most famous people in America right now talking about backyard sports. Look at you making the world a better place, Jordan. <laughs> 
Uh, and then I have one more thing, Jake, before we say goodbye. We're going to bring producer Chris on. And that is something I did tell you about when you visited me, but I just wanted to tell people because, again, it feels fitting. Again, we're, we're getting a little emotional here on this last uh, episode of Baseball Arbercast on the SiriusXM Podcast Network. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll, we'll be back soon. Um, Jake, I'm going to see Avril Lavigne this summer. It's happening. <laughs> For those of you have listened since the beginning and remember the days of Kelly Clarkson versus Avril Lavigne, I am a massive Avril fan. Jake, a Kelly fan through and through. We would ask every guest we had which they preferred, which musical stylings were uh, more in their lane. And Avril Lavigne is going on a Greatest Hits tour, and I will be attending in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> so, uh, Toronto, Ontario, I should say. So, I'm so excited, and I'm very excited uh, to to share that. So, I'm just, isn't she I'm just, from there? She's from Ontario, not quite Toronto, but she is from Ontario, a little bit, a uh, little bit east. So it's happening. I'm not, a, as you know, I am not a concert goer whatsoever. This is not something I do. It is not. I'm not seeking out music to go see. But yeah, Th- this will be your third concert in your <laughs> life, third or fourth, maybe. I think I went to like one as a kid and I don't even remember what it was. And then I've seen Wilco a couple times with my wife because Wilco is her favorite band. So, but we will be seeing Avril in Toronto in August and it will be fucking awesome. So there you go. I just wanted to share that with uh, people who have listened since the beginning. will probably get a kick out of that. Anyway, now it is time to say goodbye to producer Chris. Producer Chris, please join us. His Zoom camera is on. Hey. What's up? By the way, complicated by Ever Living was one of my favorite songs growing up. Well, so I'm I I'm right there with you. Can imagine it's going to bring the Scotia Bank Arena house <laughs> down. I can't wait. Um, Chris, how are you? Uh, we are very like legitimately yeah. bummed about not podcasting with you anymore. I know um, it's sad, boys. It's of course, if you remember, like for me in particular, like Chris and I lived together, and the sequence of events that brought us back together to work together on this podcast several years after we lived together in New York was a very incredible stars aligning thing. And I'm very yeah. thankful for that. Um, but yeah, have you, have you had a good time? Like, has it not been? Of course okay? it's been fantastic. And obviously selfishly, I think that's the best thing that's come out of this podcast is the fact that we could reconnect because I don't think we really spoke for a couple of years uh, mm-hmm. before that, maybe a couple of texts here and there, mm-hmm. but that's about it. But got to reconnect with you. Got to finally meet Jake because right. I heard about Jake a lot when we were living together and all that sort of stuff and had the opportunity to hang out in person a few times. Only what? Maybe like a half a dozen times I think we've caught up, but it's been nice. Yeah. Chris, was it worth it meeting me? Or would you like to go back to the time before you had met me? No, my life is so much better having met you, Jake. So much better. You are much taller than I was expecting. I will say that. Let's go. Yeah. How about that? Let's go. Uh, But yeah, I Um, mean, Chris, go ahead, Jake. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Sure. How has your understanding of the sport of baseball changed over the last year and change of producing our show? Like, obviously you were probably thinking about it more than you were before that, but I'm curious if like being around us idiots who eat, sleep and breathe this shit has altered the way that you look at the game? The answer can be no. It's altered the way I've looked at like baseball Twitter and baseball memes and things like that because that was a part of baseball that I never really partook in much, right? So I would still watch a lot of games. And actually, I was probably watching more games before I did the show because now having a kid, it's just hard to watch as much baseball as I used to. But being able to be on this show three times a week and still watch a little bit of baseball, I'm still getting a lot of content. But 
you know, learning about, you know, your colleagues and, and the people that, you know, you podcast with and the people we've got on as guests and all that sort of stuff. I'm learning a lot more from that perspective. And it's been really great to meet all these people and to, to know about them and all that sort of stuff. So that's the part that I've really enjoyed rather than, you know, on field stuff. It's been more about the the, the background and, and the media and the people behind the game and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, and I think too, because like, I think about people like Vinny, right? Like, and we've had guests, oh, Vinny Pasquantino, yeah. who just like, we've had guests who, who then just like producer Chris more than us. Right. And getting to hang out with Vinny in person in Nashville, uh, was so cool. And, and obviously we could not have helped again. We talk about, you know, the people who listen, who support the show, but like you have done so much to help grow this show and we are forever thankful for that. Um, and yeah, and, and, and now we're, now we're homies and we get to watch your adorable uh, daughter grow up, which is like the coolest thing ever who like made my wedding better. So like that, you know, that's talk about things that I got out of this podcast. Yeah. That was, <laughs> I mean, that I mean was that's pretty hot. You know how many photos we have around our house from your wedding because yeah. she was just on the dance floor that whole night. Like that she... was, that was a lot of fun. It's definitely, it's bittersweet. Like obviously we can't mention exactly what's happening yet, but you guys have got some great things coming up on the horizon so you know no hard feelings or anything like that because when something when an opportunity like this comes up you absolutely have to take it but at the same time it's obviously sad that we're not going to be able to spend three days a week together sometimes more um it's just been it's it's been a really nice last year and a half or so yeah i will hey. say um one of the realizations of like all the stuff that's coming up was oh wait that means we have to leave chris like that really was yeah. one of the big considerations that Jordan and I had. Um, I guess this is also a time to mention we are, in addition to leaving uh, SiriusXM, Jordan, we are leaving our gigs at uh, Fox Sports, which is effective today. Um, we have some cool things coming. No hard feelings anywhere. We did not get fired as far as we know. Uh, maybe we'll. there's still time today. Maybe we could get That's fired true. on our last day. Who knows? That's true. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if your uh, intoxicated Corbin Birds take gets you in trouble. Um, but no, I'm amazing. I think, uh, I, yeah. So again, like, like I know we're being vague, but uh, you won't have to wait uh, that much longer. But thank you. Most importantly, thank you, Chris. Thank you to everyone at XM. Thank you to Mike Farron. That's another thing, right? Mike Farron, who joined us for the Prospect Barbacast. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to continue that. That was. I'm so glad we got to do that this this off season. Hopefully, we can still make stuff with Mike in the future. Um, but to all the people behind XM. Uh, you know, Brady Gardner, Marissa Revis, like these people have done so much for us uh, on this podcast. We're yeah. very, very grateful. And Mike was the one who kind of helped set this up in the first place. Absolutely. So yeah, we, without Mike, uncle Mark, we'd be nothing. Yes. Mike's, uh, Mike's looked out for us, uh, looking out for us for, for a very long time. Uh, all right, Jake, let's, let's, uh, we, we got some, some other business to take care of. Thank you all for listening. Again, you can still email us at baseball at gmail.com. Uh, next week we will have more information. Jake, you are, uh, still in England for a couple more days and then flying back. So, um, next week when we're finally back on, it'll be nice to be on the same time zone. And, it, you know, Jake, I, I guess, I guess we have spring training travel, hopefully coming up, but you've really been all over the place. <laughs> it'll be nice to have you somewhat in, oh, and you have more stuff coming. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I mixed it a trip to your fucking living room. I know. So which, sorry. Part I, which I greatly appreciate. I know. But yeah. uh, it's, it's been hard to we've seen. We've seen Jake in a lot of different places lately. But anyway, again, as always, uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to Baseball Barbercast. We promise that we'll be back soon. Uh, stay right here. Stay on this feed. You don't even have to change anything there. 
Um, but we'll be back soon. Otherwise, have a wonderful weekend. Corbin Burns is on the Orioles. Uh, and we will uh, we'll talk to you all very soon. Goodbye. Good luck, fellas. We'll miss you. Bye, guys. Serious XM Podcasts. <laughs>